0: Hey, everyone. We had a slight issue with the audio on one end of our recording today. So there may be a couple of moments where the audio jumps up and down just a little bit. But don't worry. Nothing's the matter. And it's a great show. Hope you enjoy. Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I
1: should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank
0: you. Welcome back to the Dear Prudence show once again. And as always, I am your host, Dear Prudence, also known as Mallory Ortberg. With me in the studio this week is Justine D'Souza. But first, I just want to tell you all what's keeping me going this week. Uh, which is the numerous interviews that Johnny Weir and Tara Lipinski have been giving together, particularly the one today for GQ, talking about the 13 suitcases each. That they've been bringing uh, for their many many costume changes. There are a few things uh, in life that I enjoy more than reading interviews with weirdly best friends who met at like a strange time in their lives and have sort of arranged their entire lives around one another and are willing to sort of say anything in an interview format because they both bring out the most like vivacious in one another and neither of them has a good sense of editing each other. What I'm trying to say is these two remind me of my relationship with Nicole Cliff and this is exactly the sort of interview I hope that the two of us can give in 20 years. Not because we're 20 years younger than the two of them, but because it's going to take at least 20 years for me to get 13 suitcases. Because right now I only have one and that's a long ways to go. So give me time um, and soon I will be as glamorous as Johnny Weir. And then my advice will be all the better. All right. This week uh, in the studio, we have Justine D'Souza, who works in social media for a nonprofit and is a phone support counselor for a youth helpline. She also enjoys performing in operas, musicals and plays. And the reason she's our guest today is because a while back she emailed me and asked to be on the show. And I said, why not? And now she's here. Hey, Justine, welcome. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. I'm so excited that you could join us. Thank you again so much for uh, saying something, because that's often my favorite way to get somebody on the show, is just hearing from somebody who feels like giving the world advice. (laughs) I'll do my best. Okay. Well, uh, I'm excited that you're here. I'm excited that you're willing to do your best. Uh, And let's just dive right in. I'm going to go ahead and read our very first letter. The subject is just got my health back, which is great, right? Like what a beautiful start. Someone has gotten their health back. It's already, like, off to a better start than many other podcasts we have done in the past. Dear Prudence, I'm a 48-year-old woman. After many years of unemployment due to ill health, I'm finally back in the workforce. While I'm now doing better and able to work, I do have a chronic disease called essential thrombocythemia, which can cause either blood clots or uncontrolled bleeding if I get bruised. It's a rare disease, but it's also manageable. I take my medication, and it's under control. My problem is that I have no idea how or when to bring this up, or even if I should. I am required to see my hematologist once a month for blood work. I'm mostly doing office work, and most places would frown on me for having to take off several hours—my hematologist is always running late—once a month. There's also the issue of possible iron infusions, where I would need to take off at least half a day from work. How do I bring this up to potential employers? When I was working full-time, I rarely took time off, so I'm not sure what to do now. Wouldn't this turn off an interviewer knowing their group insurance rates could go up if they hired a person like me? Oh, letter writer, you wonderful person! I am so glad you wrote into us uh, because uh, there there is a, a very important ser- like set of protections in place for exactly this such thing, and it's called the American with disability Americans with Disabilities Act. And it is uh, specifically designed to prevent employers from making hiring decisions based on somebody else's uh, health status, whether actual or perceived. So, you know, I I don't want to say, don't worry, you're never going to run into any problems as a result of this. But if an employer uh, refused to hire you out of fear that your pre-existing health condition would raise their group insurance rates, uh, they, they would be in a lot of trouble. They're not allowed to do that. So I guess just number 1 that's good news that we have the the ADA like that's just a, a nice way to start off I think. Justine, what do you what do you feel about it? it's it sounds like this person does not actually have a job yet even though they have said they're back in the workforce it kind of sounds more like they're either temping or or hoping to get hired soon. Was that your read on it, too? Yeah, that's what it
1: sounded like, or at least that they're in the physical state that they're able to work now and that it's a possibility. So I definitely want to back up what you said that in the interview stage, they definitely should not have to disclose their disability status. This is a very American problem, I find, having lived abroad, um, not being used to taking time off and putting the needs of the company and the job sometimes above one's own health. In terms of thinking about this, but, you know, it sounds like once this person gets an offer, it would be good to and once everything's signed off to disclose their needs and they might be surprised at how flexible certain places can be because once a month is actually not a lot of time. And, you know, if they're able to fulfill their responsibilities, it shouldn't be an issue with the other timelines.
0: Right. I think that's an important uh, caveat to to put in place, which is two things. One of which I I think that the ADA does not always apply to companies with fewer than 15 employees. So if this letter writer was applying to very, very small companies, um, she might not have the exact same legal protections. Although, again, what she's describing sounds pretty minimal. Um, And and then the other thing worth bearing in mind uh, has left my head entirely. What was I going to say? this is terrible. This has never happened to me before on the air. <laughs> um, oh, the other thing is that uh, an employer, uh, you know, as long as you could fulfill the the job requirements, um, you know, there, there's no reason uh, for, for your health issues to come up. There's nothing about your condition that would make it uh, impossible or even especially difficult for you to do office work. Um, so I think you can Definitely relax a little bit in terms of having to disclose. I think you think this might be worse than it really is. If if you apply for a job, uh, you know, do your best in the interview. Don't mention your health uh, in any sense. And then once you get the job, if you say, you know, by the way, once a month I have a doctor's appointment, I think the odds are excellent that most workplaces would say, great, thank you for letting us know. We will work around that.
1: Also, maybe when she's negotiating her benefits, she could think of flex time and different work schedules and things like that that might make it easier for her to work around the appointment she needs.
0: Right. And and just, I think, letter writer, you know, when you say, how would I potentially bring this up with potential employers? Wait until after you've been hired. Um, Don't think of this as something that you need to apologize for. You are a human being and human beings have health concerns that they have to manage. We are not just you know, robots who who only perform work and then turn off at the end of the day. Um, nothing you're describing is especially time-consuming, possible iron infusions for half a day, but it doesn't sound like you've experienced any of those yet. Uh, so again, that's, that's not something that's on the immediate horizon. Um, just focus on getting a job, interviewing as best you can. And then once you have been hired, you know, only in as much as your boss would need to know. Like, you don't need to disclose, I have this disease. Although, you know, again... um look into your state's like labor department, find out a little bit more about the ADA protections that you might qualify for. Uh, but y- you don't have to disclose your condition. You can simply say, I have a doctor's appointment once a month. Um, and-, and as long as that's not directly affecting your work, you don't have to go into a ton of detail. If you're super comfortable with your boss and you want to say like, by the way, it's for this blood thing that I'm managing, you you can, but you're not obligated to share that information.
1: Yeah, I would also like it if the letter writer could be a little bit kinder to themselves, because, you know, it's great that you're back in the workforce, as Mallory said, and that you're looking to take care of your needs. And that should definitely be the focus. Of course, these are legitimate questions to ask about a future job. But, um, you know, just remember that your own health is priority, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that kind of like I never used to take time off and I'm not really sure how to again, like an afternoon a month. That's a not unreasonable amount of time to take off. And um you know, you you would offer a lot of value as a worker beyond just um, I never, ever, ever miss an afternoon. And, and and it's just very harsh to say, like, wouldn't this turn off an interviewer knowing that I have like a manageable but chronic health condition? And, um, you know, that's exactly why we put protections in place um, so that people who do have to manage like disability or chronic health issues um, are not like just shoved to the side and forced out of the workplace. Oh, speaking of the workplace, this next letter is really something. Would you uh, be so good as to read it? Sure. Subject,
1: my boss goes exploring in my desk. Dear Prudence, I've worked for the same company for many years and love the work, clients, coworkers, everything but my boss. If I take a day off, she often goes through my desk, rifling through the contents and leaving me nasty notes about the things, such as the way I store my pens or why I have a yogurt spoon. She admits that this is not born from any concern about my hiding things, but because she's simply looking for something and then gets distracted and goes on a tear. She's gone through my inbox and outbox and made false assumptions leading to her calling clients or taking action on things that have already been dealt with. Nothing she's ever found has been amiss, illegal, or anything, but organized differently than she would want it. We have no HR, but when coworkers have told her that this behavior seems invasive, she maintains that she has every right to do it. We do 360 reviews, and I consistently get outstanding scores from everyone, including her. Do you think this is normal behavior for a boss? What should I do? I'd quit, but I live in a city where jobs are very hard to come by, and there are dozens of applicants for any position like mine. Help. Wow. Well, this is not normal behavior.
0: Yeah, I was going to (laughs) say, safely, I feel very confident um, just answering that question. Like, no, this is not at all normal. This is bananas. I am so sorry. Sorry. I cannot imagine, like, leaving for lunch and coming back to my desk to find a, like, poisonous little note from my boss about how I organize my pens. Like, that is just demented. And even without the notes, just the fact that she's going through your inbox and
1: outbox and personal items for the sake of it is unprofessional and demeaning on so many different
0: levels. Yes, yes. And worse than all of that, like, this is all so bad on its own, but she is making mistakes on your behalf at work because she's, Mm -hmm. like, half-heartedly going through your inbox, partly reading things, making stupid assumptions, and then jumping the gun and calling clients and and creating a mess. Like, this is not just... Uh, a weird quirk. This is actually affecting your ability to get your job done uh, and your professional reputation. So that's pretty serious. Um, And it's a real shame that you guys don't have an HR department, which I've talked Mm -hmm. about before, how I feel like HR departments are often very limited in terms of what they can actually do. But this seems like the kind of thing that if an HR department was aware that this was going on, they would be concerned about the company's reputation as well as yours, because this does not make your business look good.
1: Yeah, and definitely I think it's important to note that maybe because this letter writer has worked in the same place for many years and they've grown accustomed to this behavior that they have to ask the question that, is this normal? Um, I think we can both assure you that, no, it's it's not normal. So don't forget that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, OK, so the letter writer uh, at least does not want their first option to be quitting which is fine. Uh, Although I say put it on the table. Um, I think you should certainly be looking for work elsewhere while you think of other ways that you can deal with this internally. Um, But that's got to be an option because this this just can't go on. Like eventually she's going to email somebody something that you guys will not be able to fix. You know, like she's going to send off some half cocked email and you're going to lose business over it. So what would what would be your first step? Like you've already apparently coworkers have said this. uh, Please don't do this. So it sounds like the boss is doing it to more than just the letter writer. Um, It sounds like the letter writer has spoken to her about it uh, because they write that the boss has admitted that it's not that they're it's not that she's worried about the letter writer stealing or anything. She's just always looking for something. So what do you think is the next move?
1: Well, even if there's no HR department, perhaps there's a company contract or guidelines or a guidebook, depending on the nature of the company, that maybe they could go through and see what rules are most applicable in this type of situation, or how to escalate concerns or any whistleblower kinds of lines. Hmm.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Because I was a little, I, I was doing a little bit of digging after this because I was kind of unsure. Like, is this, you know. Uh, legal because a lot of workplaces, there's not a reasonable expectation of privacy when it comes to something like the emails you send from your professional account. But there would be a reasonable expectation of privacy when you're, say, like uh, changing in the professional, like in your company's locker room or using the company's restrooms. So- it would be worth checking out your company policy um just whether or not there is kind of like any sort of policy around like is your desk considered a private space like uh it would be unusual for a boss to be able to go through your purse uh so there's a there is a sort of there's a line somewhere of like what your boss can and cannot reasonably do at the office, and it may be that you guys have a policy. It may be worth checking with your state's Department of Labor to find out like what privacy protections do apply to you. It's weird. I don't normally uh, recommend that people talk to their state's Department of Labor twice <laughs> in a podcast, much less in the first two episodes. Um but, yeah, it, it may, frankly, uh, be illegal for your boss to be doing this. It also may very well fall under, you know, the purview of, like, shit your boss can do when you are at work, which would be a real shame. But it's worth knowing more about this, for sure.
1: Well, I think also the nasty notes might count as harassment. So you want to look into those laws, too, perhaps.
0: Yeah, especially when it's about things like how you organize your pens or why you have a... Sp- like, that's so irrational to me that I have trouble believing that this boss is not having a lot of trouble elsewhere. Um So... In terms of, like, escalation, I would say, like, number one, find out more about um, whether or not your boss is doing anything illegal. Certainly save the notes um, and keep a record of the things that she says to you. This is a waste of company time if she's writing you, like, nasty notes about your yogurt spoon. Um, And this is going to be important when you talk to whoever her boss is. I think it's worth trying to speak to her about it again just so you can have that to point to when you kind of kick it further up the chain of command because I think that's going to be... The next thing you have to do, like, you know, just go to her and say, hey, I need to talk to you about what happens when you go through my desk and And stick especially to the stuff of like, you know, you have sometimes misread things in my inbox and emailed clients with mistaken information that I have then had to clean up. That makes us look bad. That's not necessary. And that makes my job harder. Can we both agree that you won't do that without checking in with me first? Um, And if she can't give you that, then that's a pretty clear sign that you need to go above her head. Um, And my guess is she's not going to respond to it well or rationally or reasonably. Um, And at that point, I think you can kind of bring up everything else and say there's a pattern of behavior here that's worrying, invasive, unprofessional, and makes it difficult for me to do my job. Um, And I just I just think you have to do that because otherwise she's just going to keep doing this.
1: Yeah, and I would say that when discussing it, it would be valuable definitely to focus on the workplace and professional aspect of it um because it sounds like general guidelines about privacy and personal space have not really been effective so far. So, you know, I like Mallory's script about the company being able to do its job. I think that's a useful one to definitely focus on.
0: Mhm. And uh, you know, you can also say to her too, you know, um I want to talk to you about what you think is the best use of my time— um, unless there's a problem with the way that I organize my desk, um, unless you can see any ways in which it is affecting my work, I would prefer it if you did not leave me notes commenting on my organizational system or asking why or how I eat the things that I do. That's not related to work. That doesn't fall under your purview. And that's not something that we need to be able to discuss. And these, by the way, are all really reasonable things to say to your boss. This isn't you being, like, insubordinate or, you know, lashing out or or doing something that you shouldn't be doing. Although I am aware that when you have a boss who crosses lines like this, there can be a real sense of anxiety of like, but if I talk back, um, if I say this is not okay, she might retaliate because she's already doing pretty out there stuff. Um, so I, I think that's where I, I hope you trust like management in general at this company. I hope this is just behavior they're not yet aware of, um, but they need to be made aware of this. And if you I fear that they would back her up or have no interest in helping you out, then that would make, I think, looking for other work even more imperative. Um, Especially if it's difficult to find other work in your field, like start now. Yeah,
1: and maybe a good halfway option would be to look at some freelancing or online jobs, maybe something part-time so that you can open doors and start meeting new people, maybe going to job fairs. I know that there aren't a lot of positions in the city that she's in, but... Mm -hmm. You know, maybe looking for ones in neighboring cities or
0: neighboring areas. Yeah. But this is bad. This is just a little bit weird. Like, it, even if it weren't about emailing clients, like nasty notes about why you have a spoon for yogurt or like the way you store your pens, it's just deeply unsettling. And it like destroys right. the trust you're supposed to have in your boss's judgment. It makes you feel unsettled at work and wonder, like, when's the next note going to come? And can I leave anything in my desk? Is she going to start going through my phone or my wallet? Um, because she's displayed such bad judgment, it's just sort of like, well, I don't know what to expect from this person anymore. Yeah. Um, and then you add to that the fact that she calls clients um, or tries to, like, repeat actions you've already taken on a project. Um, that's a waste of her time. That's a waste of your time because you have to clean up the mess afterwards. That leaves you constantly worrying, like, is there a client out there right now who has the wrong information because my boss looked at the first two words on an email, flipped out, and then gave them a call? Like, that's... um. It's not just that this isn't normal. This is really bad. This is really bad. This isn't just like, oh, bosses are weird and sometimes they're rude and you have to, like, put up with a dull story or like a slightly unsettling. Yeah. Yeah. This is really bad.
1: And I'm wondering how much time the boss can spend doing her own responsibilities and supporting her employees if she's going through people's inboxes and outboxes and their desks. So, you know, this might not be great for her long-term professional development.
0: Yeah. And she's apparently doing this to a lot of people. Right. Um, uh, That's just bananas to me. Yeah. And just to say again, like, if you need something from me, please ask me directly. You know, unless you are gone from your desk just, like, five days out of seven, I I can't imagine that she needs to be doing this. And this just is stemming from some sort of, like, free-floating anxiety in her mind that she just needs to scratch a really weird invasive itch yeah please please write us back because i would really like to know uh how either this boss would respond to any sort of pushback on this um or what your boss's boss might say if they were to hear like what she's doing because i guarantee you she does not do this to the people above her in management like she's not going (laughs) into her supervisor's office and going through their desk so this may very well be something they have no idea about oh man all right we are leaving the problems of the workplace. We are, we are sailing into uh, problems of marriage um, because there are only so many ways for life to be difficult. <laughs> the subject of this next letter is just romance is gone. Dear Prudence, I'm a 38-year-old married woman with four young kids at home. My 54-year-old spouse, who I've been with for almost 15 years, came out to me and later publicly as a trans woman about a year and a half ago. We've since stayed together. In the past, she had suffered from depression, and she's become a much happier and more loving person since coming out. The issue is that my once strong romantic feelings for her, which I had hoped would regrow after she came out, are virtually gone. I don't want sex or romance with her. She's more like a co-parent and a roommate and a best friend to me now. I've tried, but I'm just not a lesbian. I love her in the sense that I want her to be happy and well, but I'm no longer in love." She keeps saying that she's the same person, just with a different external experience. But for me, she's a fantastic housewife that I don't want to be married to. I've been honest about my feelings and doubts. She's terrified of being twice divorced. And the more I pull back from a lack of passion, the more she tries to please and reassure me. I feel terrible and guilty. What should I do? Oh, I, I'm so sorry, letter writer. This makes me so sad. It's always so hard when somebody writes in and describes a marriage where two people really care for each other, and they both want to do right by each other. And there's an insurmountable issue that's that has to do with something as big as like sexual orientation. And there's just not an answer that's going to make everybody happy. And I always wish that I could come up with some magic solution. Um, But this sounds really hard for the both of you. And I'm so sorry. Yeah, I guess I'm kind of curious about what they've done to try. um,
1: Because I was definitely up with the letter writer until the Fantastic Housewife line. And I sensed a little bit of resentment that didn't really seem consistent with the beginning of the letter. Hmm. And it's understandable because, you know, nobody should be you know, this is not like an ideal situation for anyone, but it sounds like from what is being described that they're sort of repeating themselves and that maybe it will be beneficial for them to go to therapy or go to a support group um, because it sounds like the cycle is one person is expressing that they're the same and um, the other person doesn't feel that way and is pulling back and then the other person is worried because the other person is pulling back and it sounds like a cycle that's going on. So, um you know, of course, I'm going to take the letter writer the word that they've tried, but I'm just sort of curious of what they've tried and how many ways they've gone about it.
0: Yeah, I read that line a little bit differently. I think it was more just trying to, like, put into words this sense of, like, she's a great version of a wonderful person that's a woman. And I am not mm-hmm. a lesbian. I'm not bi-curious. Uh, I'm not bisexual. Um, so, like, as cool as those things are, I don't want to be married to a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know... When it comes to that, I think the cycle, you know, you can't turn yourself into a lesbian you know, right. or bisexual, <laughs> uh, no matter how much you want. Um, I, I think this is a pretty um, it seems like a pretty clear cut case of just total sexual orientation and compatibility. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can try really hard to change your sexual orientation, but that doesn't usually work. Right. Um, so I think therapy is a great idea. But I think therapy and separation are probably yeah. uh, the the only path forward. Um, and of course, um, you know, it, it's got to be painful to feel twice divorced. It's got to be hard for her to feel like um, finally coming out and being able to transition um, has also, you know, been a precipitating event in the end of your guys' marriage. But um, it, it's just you know, you can't make yourself into a lesbian for for just because you want to. And it sounds like you're very clear on you are not interested in women. Um, And that's really sad. But, um, you know, you you shouldn't feel like you have to keep trying to kickstart those feelings. It's been 18 months. You say they have vanished. Um, You try to pull back and then she tries to please and reassure you, which sounds really painful for the both of you. Um, So I I think, part of what needs to happen is just that really difficult conversation of it's not a matter of trying to please and reassure me. Um, I, I know that you are the same person that I had like had children with and and love and respect. Of course, that's true. Um, but I, I'm also a heterosexual woman. And um, to let her know, like, because that's got to feel exhausting for her. Like maybe if I'm just the best lesbian in the world, my wife will want to stay with me. Um and that's just not gonna work, and so I think it would be helpful to find like a really trans competent therapist, somebody who could um like support and affirm both of you as you figure out um how to be the best possible co parents uh and 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 friends that you can be um and that might not be easy at first, but um it's not easy now um but to just make it really clear that um that's it this is not something that you guys can try your way through or fight your way out of if, if if you feel this confident that you're not even a little bit bisexual or bicurious or gay. Um, and it has been 18 months and she's kind of like killing herself trying to be as loving and attractive and and fun to be around and just the, the the best wife in the world. And you're like, you know, it's just not it's an issue of compatibility. It doesn't matter how great you are. I would like to be with men. Um The kindest thing for the both of you um, is to acknowledge what is already the case, which is that the romantic part of your marriage is over, and that's sad, and that's hard, and that will cause you both grief. But um, I think it would be worse for the both of you in the long run if you tried to um, deny that reality.
1: Yeah, I mean— Even though I had a different read initially on the Fantastic Housewife line, I do want to say that these feelings are totally valid and the letter writer shouldn't feel obligated to stay with someone that she doesn't have feelings for. And maybe therapy would be beneficial if not for um, patching up the relationships, because like you said, no one can change their orientation, for figuring out how they're going to co-parent or how they're going to... I guess live with each other's relationship, or you know, lack of relationship in the future. In terms of like, are they going to stay friends? Are they going to have contact? Things like that,
0: right? And and I hope that they'll be able to find a way um, towards a future friendship. Um, I just it's just got to feel so painful right now for the both of them to be thinking, you know, for for the letter writer to be thinking. Um, I don't know how to express. Um, you know, my sexual orientation in a way that doesn't hurt my partner. But it's also just I I, I can't be with a woman. Um, and then for her, you know, soon to be ex-wife feeling like um, I've just I, I, there's just one more thing I've got to be able to do in order um, to keep this relationship going. And that's just that's uh, just hard and painful. And this is just one of those situations where um it's, it, you sound like two wonderful people who really care for each other. And unfortunately, your orientations just don't match up. Um, and if I had a better answer, I would give it to you. But I think it will hurt, you know, more in the short term, but less in the long term to just be really clear right now. Um, and to just remember, it's the kindest thing to do.
1: And you can do that in a caring way. And you can do it kindly. You know, it sounds like you're pretty sensitive and understanding of the things that your partner has gone through. So, you know, you can continue doing that, even as you say that the
0: situation we have right now is not right for me. Right. And and just for the both of you, like this isn't necessarily something that would be helpful to share right now, but like she deserves to someday be with a woman who is thrilled to get to be with her, who is super into women, who is like, yes, sign me up. Um, not somebody who feels like, oh, I'm just not gay at all, but I, I I I care about you and I don't want to hurt you. Like again, that's not necessarily something that she'll be able to hear right now. So I, I don't think that's something that you should say to her. But just she does deserve that, um, and 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 you know you deserve the same. Um, you 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 both deserve somebody who really really wants to be with you. Um, and I hope that you'll be able to get that. I, I think you will. I'm, I'm so glad that you both. Are like, caring, supportive, um, yeah. loving of one another, I think that's a really strong foundation for what's going to be, like, a slightly rocky road for probably a while, but will eventually get better than it is now. Right. <sighs> All right. So the next two this, – this is – we start with work problems. We move on to, like, two lovely people who have an insurmountable problem, but I wish them both the best. And the next two letters are just – Some marriages that I've got some really strong feelings about. (laughs) All right. Should I read the next one? Please do, because I'm so mad I can't
1: see straight. (laughs) Subject. Questioning the value of being a good sport. My husband and I work in the same field at the same college. I am relentlessly innovative, and my husband often uses programs I've created or research I've done, which I have been happy to share in the name of collaboration, though I don't get anything back. However, in the last five years, he has won awards and accolades for his work, which is actually my work. He has said he feels bad about this. I have always been happy for his recognition. He is good at what he does. What he publicly receives praise for consistently originates from me. Now I have found out we have both been nominated for the same award. I am not supposed to know this. The person who nominated him is relentless and diligent. The person who nominated me is less so. Would it be wrong for me to offer evidence of the high quality of my works to the person that nominated me? Also, I've been solicited to help with his nomination and I've done so. He can't advocate for me in a similar way because he doesn't know we've both been nominated. It's going to make me really bitter if he wins this award too. How do I handle this quietly without letting it leak over into our marriage? It will be six months before the winner is announced. At this point, I really hope a third party gets it.
0: All right. what's, What's your read on this situation?
1: Well, my first reaction when I read this is that the husband feels bad that she's getting recognition but what is he doing about it is he just silently accepting the praise
0: yeah i'm super curious why he's never acknowledged your work when he uses it why did he feel the need to pass his work off as your own as his as his own um and why now is your goal to handle this quietly without letting it leak over into your marriage. Like, friend, this has been leaking into your marriage for the last five years, and you have been nothing but quiet. Um, It's one thing for spouses to collaborate or to help one another with research work, um, but, you know, the whole, like, you know, becoming one that like, you know, the sort of magical mumbo jumbo of marriage is like two souls become one doesn't mean that one of you never credits the other's work. It doesn't mean like, hey, you know, if I write this paper, it's as good as saying you wrote this paper. So there's no need to put you in the acknowledgments like. That's um shady as hell is is my take on this. Right. Like, yeah, that's definitely shady
1: as hell, to put it lightly.
0: Like you say, he's won awards for his work, which is actually my work. It's not like you were like, hey, you should check out this program. And he did and was like, thanks for the tip. You were like, hey, here's a program I created or original research. And he's like, great, replaces your name with his name and then gets a fucking statuette over it. Like (laughs) your husband has been behaving unethically And also just lousily, just like in terms of character and integrity, Um, for five years he's been passing off your work as his own and you have been letting that slide. Um, And now you are rightly finally getting a little bit upset with this. And and I I don't think your goal should be to deal with this quietly. I think you should be more angry than you are. I think you should not deal with this quietly. I think you should deal with this loudly.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean – it's fine that he gets recognition. It's fine that he's good at what he is does. It? But, well, if it's not. I don't think so.
0: I mean, but if it's not his work. Yeah, literally, this letter writer says.
1: If it's not his work, then that's. Yeah.
0: Right. The letter writer says he's won awards for his work, which is actually my work. I've always yeah. been happy for his recognition. He's good at what he does. What does he do? He steals right. your work. Like, this man doesn't have a job. He has you. You do the work. So I get that he is your husband and you don't want to think, wow, I'm married to an asshole who steals my work and views me as like the girl in Rumpelstiltskin who he can lock me in a tower and make me like spin straw into gold. And then he's like, look at all this gold I made, which I realize is not quite how Rumpelstiltskin goes because the king is not trying to pass the straw gold off as his own. But you get what I'm saying, people. I'm very agitated right now. Like, this guy sucks. Your husband sucks. And... Like, you have found out you guys are nominated for the same award, and all you're hoping for is that somebody else wins it instead of thinking through, like, does my husband have a sense of, like, professional ethics? Like, am I just going to keep doing his work for him for the rest of his life and letting him give me zero credit and then only allowing myself to experience resentment when he's up for an award that I'm up for, too? Like, y'all need to talk about this.
1: My question is, you know, she says that he can't advocate for her now. Why hasn't he been advocating for her all these years when he's been using her work to gain his own recognition?
0: Right. And you guys work in the same field. Like... He has been succeeding at your expense, my friend. Like, Mm -hmm. I I think probably the reason he hasn't been giving your name for your programs or your research is because he knew if you were getting all the attention and the accolades, you would be getting the awards. You would be getting offered promotions. Mm -hmm. And rather than just do better work on his own, he'd rather take yours. And for some reason, you've been letting him do that. I don't know what you're getting out of that arrangement. Um, I don't know what the dynamic is between you guys. But I just got to tell you, letter writer, um, your husband's not a good guy. Um, This is not cool.
1: Yeah, I mean, it sounds like he doesn't mind sacrificing her personal and professional wellness. So
0: I'm on board with you on that one. Yeah, I just um, I I think this needs to be big. Would it be so your first question would it be wrong for me to offer evidence of the high quality of my work to the person that nominated me? Absolutely not. Like, for what sounds like the first time in your professional life, you are considering acknowledging that you have done good work to somebody else. Yeah, Do that. If you are worried that that is, like, tooting your own horn or bragging or being too self-important, put that fear to rest. If you are proud of your work and you are up for an award— yeah, share the person who's supposed to be advocating for you, uh, the work that you're proud of. Absolutely.
1: Well, I think she was she was worried because she wasn't supposed to know the information. But, um, you know, like you said, it's important to advocate for your work, and there's nothing wrong with doing that. It's like you said, it might right. even be the first time,
0: and that's great. Right. Uh, I I just um. It's going to make me really bitter if he wins this award, too. Like, you need to start talking to your husband about this, and you need to start talking about it a lot. because even if he doesn't win the award even if you won the award this would not address the real problem which is that you have pretended for 5 years to be cool with the fact that he steals your work and doesn't give you credit and now you're finally having to admit like hey I actually uh, I don't love that that doesn't make me happy which of course it doesn't it wouldn't make anyone happy um and you need to be honest about that you need to be upfront you need to say like this stops now um I'm no longer going to give you my work so that you can pass it off as your own and we need to like At the very least, go to therapy and talk about why, like, you were happy to do that for five years and why I allowed you to do that for five years. Because those are two pretty intense dynamics.
1: Yeah, I would suggest that when she tackles these issues to
0: tackle them separately, right? So when she's advocating for herself for the award
1: You know, keep it professional and focus on the award and not your husband. And when you're talking to your husband, this shouldn't be about this award. It should be your history and his long term pattern of denying her recognition. Right. It's not just this one award.
0: writer, go back and look at what you wrote. You say that you've been happy to share programs you've created and research that you've done in the name of collaboration, although you don't get anything back. And I just got to tell you, according to, like, the dictionary definition of collaboration, if nobody knows you did it, if you don't get anything back, and if your name's not on it, it ain't collaboration. It's stealing. He is building his perf- his professional reputation at the expense of yours. Um, and that's really just dark. It's just... It creeps me out to think of this man who sleeps beside you every night and is just like, yeah, she just does all this great work for free, and I get to walk into work every day and be like, yeah, I built that program. Yeah, I did that research. That was mine. Like, how – does he respect you? Like, I – does he think of you as just, like, did he marry the kid who let him cheat off of his notes in, like, statistics class? Like, I don't I don't mean to make you feel ridiculous, but I'm just trying to get myself into his mindset and think, like, what does this man think of you? That he just treats you like this workhorse who's good enough to do his work for him, but not good enough to acknowledge your significant contributions in any way. And he's getting awards based off of this? Like, this guy is a bad person. I. I I got to say, like, I don't like your husband and I'm so sorry. Like, I don't think he's a good guy. And I, I, I just I have no idea why you're with him. Like, this is an issue of character. This is an issue of integrity. This is an issue of, like, professional ethics. And from what I'm seeing in your letter, he doesn't have any. He says he feels bad about this. Well, then he could have stopped. He could have not built his career up over the last five years on your back. This guy sucks. Yeah, yeah. sorry. I, I wish I should bring somebody on who's like, actually, he's uh, savvy and Machiavellian or whatever. It's been a long time since I read Machiavelli, so I'm sure I'm like misquoting him. Um, but this is big. This is not something you should handle quietly. Um, this is not something that you should free yourself of the delusion that this is not already leaked into your marriage. It's not even a matter of leaking into your marriage. This is the foundation of your marriage. This is your marriage. This is not separate from your relationship. This is the basis of your relationship. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm sorry. I feel like that's really harsh and it's maybe going to feel really painful and you're going to want to flinch away from that and think, no, 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 he does feel bad. He doesn't really mean it. He does respect my work. And I just think that that's not true.
1: Also, if you've already helped with his nomination, why not help with your own?
0: Yeah. Like, why would you help this guy any more than you already have? Like, stop helping him. You know what I mean? Like, just stop. Just knock it off because that um, he never stops taking. It's not even you give an inch, he gives a mile. He's just always like, how about some more inches? Like, it's just constant, constant, constant. And you have helped him so past the point of reason that... You know, I think you're just starting to crack the lid on your bitterness. I think you're about to get really mad. And I think that's ultimately going to be good for you. It won't feel good at first. You'll want to find a way to turn that into something else. You'll want to find a way to justify excuses behavior. But I think you should get furious.
1: I can see that you want to be supportive, but there are limits to that. And I think he's clearly crossed quite a few.
0: Yeah, you can support someone. Um, When they've demonstrated that they love and care for you and respect your boundaries and your autonomy. You cannot support someone who thinks of you as an endless supply of free labor um, and doesn't think it's important to credit your work. That's not a person who's support um, or who deserves your support because they will abuse that trust. This actually makes me feel a little bit better because I thought I hated the partner in this last letter more than I'd ever hated anyone. But I think it was that guy that we just finished talking to. So this guy I'm actually feeling a lot more relaxed about. Although I still, boy, oh boy, I do not care for the way that he approaches things in the least. So the subject line of this letter is simply not a cruise director. Dear Prudence, My husband acts as though I am supposed to coordinate his life. Well, that sounds familiar. When there is a mountain of laundry to do, he gets upset because I didn't tell him about it. Yesterday, he told me, I'm bored. I want to do something. And I said, what do you want to do? And he said, I don't know. I just don't want to sit around the rest of the night staring at my phone. The next day, he got upset with me because I didn't do anything with him and was on my phone. He had no suggestions for other activities, as usual, and he expects me to come up with things to do. When I have nothing to add, he gets upset and accuses me of making my phone more important than him. If I want to lay on the couch and read the news for an hour once in a while, why is that not okay? I get to choose what to do with my time. I am not his cruise director. I am not responsible for his having a boring night. How do I handle this tonight? when he gets bored and starts being cold to me because I'm lying on the couch and not actively planning what he's going to do next.
1: So I actually looked at this in two different ways, right? So clearly his behavior is annoying and clearly his behavior is demanding. But I'm wondering if there's a bigger issue that they're not spending quality time and I'm wondering if they've ever addressed that. And, you know, he's going about it the wrong way, but I'm wondering if what prior conversations they've had about their time together.
0: Right. You know, it's interesting that you say that, because I I did, as we were going through this one, um, obviously the way that he talks about this stuff is horrible, and I'm not a fan of it in the least. Um, mm-hmm. But it did sound a little bit towards the end, like it's possible that the phone issue is coming up a lot, and it may be that there is a legitimate conversation to have around... Um, I feel like sometimes we default to being on our phones all night and I don't like that. But then again, the answer to that is I want to do something different. I hope that you'll join me. Let's talk through what we would like out of that. And that's also, you know, yeah, it's not as big a thing as, man, oh, man, if somebody says I'm bored and your response is what would you like to do and they say I don't know. With the sort of like trailing off end of the like implying that like it's your job to think of something like that's unattractive when children do it. Do you know what I mean? Like that's a classic thing that kids do. That's even irritating when somebody who's eight does it like famously parents when their kids say I'm bored. There's nothing to do. They'll say like. Only boring people get bored, or like go outside and do something, or like I'm not gonna figure that out for you. Part of becoming an adult human being is figuring out what to do when you are faced with boredom or or dissatisfaction with a choice that you have made. So your right. husband is doing something that like everyone hates when an eight year old does it, so it's that much worse when a grown man does it. Um, and it sounds like this is kind of a pattern, right? Like when there's a mountain of laundry, he gets upset because you don't tell him about it. And I'm just I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say like just because. You're his wife doesn't mean you have magical laundry radar. I know that it's really hard to get the idea out of some men's heads that women don't actually have magical laundry sensors in their bodies. (laughs) Um, But the laundry is no more your job than his. You know, you both live in the house. You both use towels. You both wear underwear. um, You both make laundry. Human beings are laundry producing machines. Laundry is never a surprise uh, because you yourself contribute roughly half. (laughs) So, uh, you know, the the big conversation here needs to be, um, I think, both about division of labor, like, hey, my man. If you want to talk about chores or how we handle household management um, or the relative cleanliness of our house, I'm down for that. Here's what I'm not down for. When you (laughs) default to the idea that as your wife, it's a little bit more my job to keep the house clean and to remind you of stuff that has to happen in order for a household to run smoothly. That is sexist. It is irritating. And it is a waste of my time. You are just as capable of, as I am of walking past a hamper, seeing, ah, I am a rational, reasonable adult. I see that the laundry hamper is full. I know that we have a washing machine. I'm familiar with the fact that if you put soap and clothes and water in the washing machine and then turn a button, uh, it washes the clothes. So I, I don't require a grown woman saying something like, hey, there's laundry, uh, because I know what context clues are. And I remember things that I've done in the past. Don't say that to him with quite so much sarcasm and venom in your voice as I just did, because you two are married and you should speak a little more kindly to each other. But yeah, that's that's like a pretty important deal. Yeah. And I'm kind of wondering what their pattern
1: was before. Was it always like this? What is their division of labor like? Um, What what is what is he doing? Um, Does he need you to tell him
0: everything? Yeah. It's like, I need a dishwasher warning. Like, I walked past the dishwasher today and there was a light beeping and I was so frightened and horrified that I threw myself into a ditch. Like, <laughs> you don't need warnings about chores, my guy. Like, you are a grown man and you know how laundry works. And so if there's a lot of laundry to be done, just do some laundry. Um, that's that's not something that you need to be reminded of. Um yeah. And I think it's 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 never great when you're at a place where both of you are a little bit contemptuous of one another. So like he says, I'm bored. Uh-huh. And you say like, you know, well, what do you want to do? And he says, I don't know. I just know I don't want to do this. And you guys just sort of like sit on different ends of the couch in contempt. Like that doesn't sound delightful. Uh-huh. Um, but yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I think like come back to your husband. Don't wait for him to do it again and just say like, hey, I, I love you. I enjoy spending time with you. Sometimes I really enjoy checking the news on my phone for an hour. Um, I don't want to like spend every night of my life just glued to my phone on the couch. Um, but I'm really comfortable with doing that every once in a while. So occasionally when you get bored and you just have a sense of, I don't know what I want to do tonight, um, but I, don't, I I do know I don't want to look at my phone. When you bring that to me in the sense of I'm bored, fix it. That puts me in like a parental role in terms of you. And I'm not into that. That's not Mm going to work for me. Um, If you are bored but don't know what you want to do, spend a little time thinking about what you want to do. It could be with me. It could be by yourself. It could be with somebody else. You're a resourceful adult with a lot of options. Think about those things. Um, Actively plan your evening if you feel like a quiet evening, like, you know, catching up on social media and then making supper is not something you're interested in. Um, But don't don't just like walk into a room and announce your board with this look on your face. That's like, obviously, you're going to handle that, right? You're the laundry and boredom, like, monster. Yeah, and I think that, you know, there
1: is nothing wrong with the letter writer wanting some time to themselves and, you know, being on the couch and reading the news. So, you know, I'm not sure how explicitly the letter writer stated it, but, you know, it's okay to set that boundary of, well, right now I want to do this. I want to spend some time by myself. I want to read the news. Maybe we can do something tomorrow.
0: Yeah, or I, I, I'm a little skeptical um, uh, that he only seems to bring up like the problem of phone addiction. When he's bored Uh and his wife wants to, like, just chill out on the couch for a little bit, like, maybe that's true. Maybe that's genuinely an issue in your marriage. I'm just a little skeptical that he's like, but I'm bored now. You know what? We're all on our phones too much. Whatever happened to the good old days when people went outside and shook hands with eagles and danced on mountains and what have you, like... Um, I, I think this has more to do with he is experiencing a vague sense of dissatisfaction, unease, and anxiety that comes with boredom, um, and he wants yeah. to make that totally your problem. Um, and I think the the redirect that needs to happen here is that you can say like, "Hey, I love you. Um, I do care about you, and you know, I don't want you to be bored. You know, five nights out of seven, but like." Um, I would rather you say something like, hey, I'm feeling kind of antsy. Uh, I'm going to go to the gym or I'm going to go to a bar and meet some friends for a drink or I want to go see a movie or I'm going to just take a walk around the block and think through what sounds good to me to do next. You know, do that. Then I can kind of talk to you about that as a fellow adult and we can decide whether or not we want to do something together or spend a little time apart. Nothing wrong with spending time apart, even if you're in a relationship. Yeah. But put the, put a little thought into it. Um, you know, tap into your own resources before you attempt to get me to fix your problem. Like, if I don't know why you're bored and I don't know what you want to do. And when you try to make me guess, I feel, uh, you know, put upon and resentful and I don't want to do that. And we're not always going to be bored at the same time. Sometimes you're going to be like, oh, my phone, I'm so sick of it. And I'm going to be like, really like looking at this phone, having a great time talking to my friends all over the world and catching up on emails that are important to me.
1: Yeah, and quality time is one thing, right? So it's nice for couples to spend time together. But I think the dynamic here is that this letter writer is starting to feel responsible or or like the partner is making her feel responsible for something that she doesn't really feel necessary to manage, which is understandable, right?
0: Yeah, it's so... It is so relatable if somebody says to you, like, oh, I'm kind of bored and frustrated with myself. And I think sometimes I default to being on my phone instead of thinking through things that I would rather be doing. Um, And I just pick sort of like the easier option, the path of least resistance, and then that does not result in long-term happiness. And I want to kind of reevaluate my approach to that. And I I need to get out of the house tonight. Like, man, oh, man, can you meet that person halfway? Is that a totally reasonable and appropriate thing to say to your partner? Uh, But he's not doing that. He's saying things like, why is this laundry here? I'm shocked by the fact that we own pants i'm bored why is that your fault put your phone away i put mine away and that's just like it's not a super responsible or mature or loving approach and i think it is good and necessary for you to lovingly uh correct him yeah
1: i guess i was just wondering when i read that he
0: said i don't know i just don't want to sit around the rest of the
1: night staring at my phone what the response was um you know did the letter writer tell her husband okay um so I'm not going to be responsible for this and sort of set the boundaries and the parameters because it sounds like this has been cycling for a long time. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it sounds like some honest communication would be good. Right.
0: And and I think, too, it's important to think through, like, the letter writer said he said he didn't want to spend the rest of the night staring at his phone. The letter writer said, I want to look at my phone for an hour. Um, so I'm not sure what the expectations here are. I don't know if either the letter writer is a little bit downplaying what they were doing or a little right. bit, you know, overplaying what the husband was doing or if the husband was really kind of exaggerating out of a sense of frustration Neither one of them sounds thrilled with the way that things are right now, and it's absolutely true that you're not his cruise director. So Uh just go ahead and, like, feel real free about not suggesting him – sorry, like, offering him suggestions on what he can do. But definitely talk about this when you guys are not frustrated with one another and, like, you know, try to figure out how you can both approach it better and then for you to be able to set those super appropriate limits of just, like, my man, I do not have an internal sense of, like, the laundry meter – Um, nobody does that. We all just use our human eyes to look at the laundry and categorize how many socks are there. Well, maybe some Um, planning would also be helpful, right? Like maybe if they divide the chores, like you talked
1: about before having a conversation about division of labor and maybe they have designated date nights, but the other nights, you know what? Sorry, friend, you're on your own and I'm doing my own thing too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, all different couples come up with different strategies for what does and doesn't work. I don't know what what's going to work for you guys, but I can tell you right, right now what's not going to work is him just constantly thinking like, you're the laundry woman. Tell me when there's laundry. Um, that's a bad strategy. No one should do that. Right. <laughs> Agreed. Justine, thank you so much uh, for helping me alternately mourn with those who mourn, comfort those who need comforting. Yell at those who need to get yelled at but can't really hear us and probably don't listen to the show. Uh, you were a true stalwart companion on this road to wholeness. Oh, thanks. I hope that the advice was good. Even if it wasn't, we're both going to be dead soon enough. <laughs> true. So it won't really matter all that much. Um but before we die, I would love it if you would come back on the show sometime um so that you could give us more advice. I would love to come back on the show. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for stopping by. Have a fabulous rest of the day. Uh, and, you know, be sure to do your laundry when and if the pile gets to be too much.
1: Yep, will do.
0: In fairness, my entire island and my kitchen is covered with clean laundry <laughs> right now. Um, so I am, you know, just as guilty as the husband in the last editor. Although I have not called anyone in my own life and said, why didn't you tell me I owned clothes? Well, you said it's clean, right? It is clean. They have a mountain of laundry to do, so already you're a step ahead. Oh, yeah. Suck it, last letter writer's (laughs) husband. I'm better than you, at least for today. (laughs) All right, Justine. Thanks again. All right. Bye. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Max Jacobs. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash dearprudence to subscribe. And remember, you can always hear more Prudence by joining Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash plus to sign up. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEER, that's 3327, and you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location, and at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short. 30 seconds, a minute, tops. Thanks for listening.